Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theatre masters, founders and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Well, hello, Tashika Campbell. Hello, Marco. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine now that we're connected. Thank you so much for being a guest on Improv Interviews. Yes, absolutely. We, we were chatting beforehand about how we first met. And of course, I think it was through Jay Suko, who's the conduit for every improviser in the world, probably. And right. perhaps you subbed for a class he was teaching. I'm not sure. But... um then we were uh we met several times and you also were in charlotte at the queen city comedy festival and uh, i didn't see you there but you were there and i took a class with you and uh, steven um through uh was that high wire we took a class yeah yeah so yeah steve is wonderful so um Anyway, I want to talk about you, first of all, get to know a little bit about you, because I know you're from Charlotte originally, but you're now habitating Baltimore. Yes. And I hear you love Baltimore. I love, love Baltimore. I'm not a big fan of crab cakes, but I still love Baltimore. <laughs> well, what do you love about Baltimore? Baltimore just, it feels like home, like it's it's such a lovely city. It, it has so much history. And that's what I love about um, about places that have a lot of history. Like I love old buildings. I love learning about like how streets were named and how cities were named like that. And Baltimore has so much history um, and it's my favorite thing. I, I dig that. I love it when I've been able to travel a little bit, seeing historical buildings and ruins. I just love it. And we've got a lot of history here in Florida, although most of it's underwater in the swamp. So uh, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your early years, your childhood. Tell me a little bit about your family, how many kids there were, what a little bit about your parents. So just kind of riff on that. Okay. I am the the eldest. I'm the big sister, firstborn, the boss of two with my parents. I do have a younger brother. Um, we have a different mom. And I grew up in a single parent household. My parents um, divorced early and my mom raised me and my sister. I have, I had a pretty like when I look as an adult, when I look back at my childhood, I'm like, Hmm, there were a lot of things missing, but as a child, like I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that we didn't have money. I didn't know that we were quote unquote financially challenged or poor people use that language. Um, I didn't know that at the time because my mom really did her best to make sure we had the things that we needed. So 
if I didn't have something, I didn't know that I needed it until I became an adult and was like, oh, yeah, it would have been nice if I'd had, you know, the latest things, the latest toys or whatever. But, um, oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, I just, um, I didn't know. I, you don't know what you don't need. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, tell me a little bit about your mom. Um, she was a single mom. That must not have been too easy in Charlotte or outside of Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. She um, she was a single mom and taking care of me and my sister. And it was difficult for her. You know, we learned as we got older. Um, but we grew up in a neighborhood where there were a lot of single moms. So, again, it didn't we didn't stick out. It right. wasn't until high school that I started to hear a lot of people talk about like, oh, me and my mom and my dad. And I went over to a friend's house and I was like, and then there were signs where it was like, oh, wait a minute. We don't have this at our house. Um, so, but my mom was one of those, she, she said when we got older, she was like, I wish I'd had more money to put you all in like theater and dance. Cause me and my sister used to put on plays, uh -huh. used to put on fashion shows. My sister would wear like three outfits at one time and I would be <laughs> announcer. And, you know, I did hair and makeup and wardrobe and she would model. And my mom would sit through this, you know, Christmas time we did plays. It, it was, it was amazing. It was pretty amazing because <laughs> she would just sit through it. And, and of course, cause it was only two of us we had to play multiple roles. Right, so right. She went, she went for it and it, it was all right. And so you made up the plays. Did you ever write them down or you just improvise them? No, we wrote them down. Like we'd have a script and everything because we'd have rehearsal. And of course I was in charge. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is so great. And did you go to church as a kid? Was church important to you? Um, church wasn't important at at that time, we didn't go to church a lot. We went occasionally. Church didn't become important to me until I got older. And I actually had converted to Islam um, when I was about, um, when I was about 27, I converted to Islam. And, um, and it was an interesting journey. And initially I was dating someone who was into it and I was thinking, oh, I like what he's doing. So I'm, you know, I'm dating this guy. Let me do it too. But even after we broke up, I just kept with it. And uh -huh. it wasn't very well received in my household. <laughs> but I was confused because I was like, well, Ma, you don't go to church anymore. So what difference does it make what I right. said? Yeah. And so did you continue? Are you still practicing or? No, I converted back in 2006, uh, came back to Christianity. And it's such a huge part of my life. Um, I'm not, I guess I'm one of those people that's not really like um, your typical Christian people. Because, you know, I do curse sometimes. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I tell people all the time, just because you curse doesn't mean you don't love God. Um, I don't curse at you. I don't put curses on you. I just sometimes got a little potty mouth. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but to me, loving God isn't about, you know, the type of language. It's how you treat people. And yes. I try to operate in grace and try to be, you know, at peace about things. You know, I get upset about stuff, but because life, life is going to do what life is going to do. 
And um, I've never, I've always tried to treat people the way I wanted to be treated. And that's not something that's in the Bible. You know, a lot of people confuse organized religion with spirituality. And I think they're two entirely different things. And I'm just wondering, how would you define spirituality in your own life? You know, doing to others as you would have others do unto you is one, but how else is spirituality evident in your life and maybe your improv? For me, spirituality speaks about individual relationship. It's it's your personal relationship that you built with people and if we liken that to improv, we know how important that relationships are in our improv scenes. Like some scenes can be really flat if we don't establish who we are to one another. And I think that happens a lot of times with spirituality because we see what's happening to, with other people and their experience with religion or spirituality. And we think, oh, it's supposed to be like that when there is no one way to be. You know, there's no one relationship that's going to fit everybody. So the relationship I have with God is different than what other people will experience. And it's the same way with improv. We see a scene and we go, wow, I'm, I'm going to try that relationship type in my scene. And it doesn't work because it wasn't catered. That wasn't catered for me. That wasn't right, 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 right. So I just think that we have to focus on what works best for you. Um, I don't pray like most Christians, you know, like our father who art in heaven. I'll be like, God, what's up? You know, like today was rough, you know, but I know you got me. I know this is a thing, you know, that I talk to him like I'm like, he's sitting right there in front yeah, of me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that he appreciates that. So it's the same thing with, with when I'm in improv scenes, I'm like, what can I how can I make this so that it fits me? How, how can I make this so I'm comfortable in this improv scene? Because when I'm comfortable, that's when I'm at my most free. And that's how I feel with my relationship, you know, and being spiritual. I feel free to say what I need to say so that it's not, there's not any confusion and, and it helps you manage your expectations, right? So Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, you know, people get upset about church and they're like, but churches creates these rules that sometimes don't work for everybody. And it's the same with improv. Like we talk about the rules of improv and not all the rules work for everybody. They got exactly. to be, be tailor-made. Exactly. That's beautiful. I love that. So when we were talking about your childhood and making up plays and writing scripts and being the director and your sister loving to wear costumes and makeup, when did you start performing? In, did you start performing in school and in elementary or grade or high school? I started doing um, plays in junior high school. I had a teacher, Miss Guzman, um, and I recently posted about her because uh, she was my first, like the first feminist in my life. And I assumed that her she her last name came from her husband. And she was like, no, my husband's last name is Smith. She was like, we're not property. We're not cattle. You can, you know, you can maintain and retain your own identity even when you're married. So I was like, wow. And then the fact that she was doing something that I loved. And when I auditioned for the first play that we actually took to be in a competition, it was just like, that was it. I remember the first day stepping on that stage and I was like, oh, I could do this. Like, even though I was doing it in the house, it was the, like the stakes had risen because I was in front of people that didn't know me, that wasn't giving me like the polite clap that my mom <laughs> gave me. Um, 
people were really laughing and they were like, oh my God, you were so amazing. And I was like, oh, I like this. Um, so that was junior high was the first, my first experience with it. And then I started, um, I didn't do as much in high school or in college, but when I started attending church, I used to write little scripts or skits for church to do. And that's when it came back. That's when that little bug came back again. And that was, that was again, like 2007. Wow. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. But I've heard you say you started improv in 2017. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So what were you doing during all that time between, you know, writing skits for the church, having children? How many children do you have? Oh, just one. That's all I needed. <laughs> you have a daughter, beautiful daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my lovely Taylor. That's wonderful. So what were you doing? How were you earning your food and rent? Oh, I was working at a bank and it was just like a regular bank job. I worked at the corporate office um, in Charlotte and yeah, I was just kind of floating through life during that time, Margo. It was I look back at that life and sometimes it doesn't seem real because uh-huh. I wasn't, you know, though I was doing little things at church, I sometimes wonder like, what did I, was that a waste? <laughs> did that really, or did it really happen? Um, Cause there are days like when I got into improv, I was like, wow, I wish I had been doing this right back in the early two thousands. Cause even though it was like weird for me in the beginning to today, having met so many wonderful people, I just like, man, I wish I'd have known you, you know, met you all back in the early 2000s um, because I wasn't really doing much. Like I was just going to work and coming home and um, occasionally doing things at church or if people needed like um, party planning, like I knew how to do that really well. I'm very, like, I'm creative in so many areas. You know, I love decorating for the holidays, for parties. Uh-huh. And so I was doing that and me and a friend were talking the other day. He was like, why didn't we ever start like an event planning business? I was like, we didn't even really think about that. Um, yeah, we never thought about that. So that's all I was doing. Nothing spectacular. Um, I probably live more now today than ever before. Right. Um, and and I'm like, was it a waste or was it just this is the right time? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, so I think that's what kind of helps me not feel too regretful about venturing out into the arts, something that I've loved for a very long time, because I feel like this was the time that I'm supposed to be doing it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so where were your first improv class? And tell me about that experience, your very first improv class. My very first improv class was at the Baltimore Improv Group. And I took, I initially took, um, they they still offer like intro to improv. It's a workshop they offer just for you to test the waters of improv. And it was on a Sunday and it's like for three hours. And at the time it was five bucks and you could go and you could sign up online. And I remember going in there and I was like, okay, this is interesting. You know, doing things like um, become a crab. So we were all in there doing this crab walk. And I was just like, (laughs) I like being creative and I'm silly at home, but I was like, I'm doing this in front of people that I do not know. Right. And, um, but I said, okay, I'm going to try it. Cause they had a sign up for the one-on-one class and I signed up and it was more, 
weird stuff or unusual stuff happening in the mm-hmm. classroom. Um, and I was just like, ooh, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> I felt so silly. I was like, what are we doing? Because, you know, in my mind, I was thinking of whose line is it anyway? Right. And that's what I was expecting when I got in the class. And, you know, having taught improv now, I realized today that that was the foundational stuff. And sometimes that stuff is not the not so fun stuff that you have to go through, right? It is the silly stuff that helps you become a better improviser. Um, But in that moment, I was just like, and, and I wasn't, so there were, I think, and then the other concern for me was, are there a lot of black people doing this? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. There was a couple that was in there. It was a husband and wife. And so I was like, well, it's, okay, it's two other black people. Okay, all right, all right. Um, But I still felt alone in the class. And I think uh-huh. that was the other thing that kind of affected me. It was just like, well, do you want to keep doing this? And because I'm so used to like my friends joining in with me on things. And it was during a time where I really didn't have a lot of friends in Baltimore. And so I was like, nope, we're going to push through it. This is for you. Stop focusing on who should be on either side of you. This is for you right now. And I'm so gl- very glad that I did, that I didn't walk away. Um, I wasn't going to take the 201 class, but all most of the students in the 101 class was like, well, we're taking a 201. Um, I love the, the showcase. I had so much fun. And when I did the showcase, I was like, this is it. But I was like, I don't know if I'm going to take the next class. But then everybody in the class was like, oh, we're signing up for 201. And I was like, well, I can't let them sign up. And I Right, don't. right. <laughs> so I signed up for 201. And then after 201, I was like, all right, this is enough of this improv. All right, enough of this. Because it's expensive, right? Yeah, yeah. Classes can get costly. And I was like, enough of this. I've had my fun. I've learned some stuff. I'm good. And... One of my teachers was like, no, you're not stopping. You're going to come take the next class. And I was like, but it costs so much money. <laughs> and they were like, we'll give you a discount. Come to the next class. And that was it. That was it. And then did you, you started performing. You were, and um, did you take other at other schools at all? Or did you stay with the, that company? Or So I stayed with Big my first couple of years. Because, again, you don't. I, I am big on like improv mentors. Like we think about mentors just for our job. Yes. Yes. Our personal life. But I feel like there should be like an improv mentor who can talk to you and kind of like, you know, in college, they assigned you like a buddy. And I think they used to do that. And then it's something that they stopped at big, but I think they should bring that back because you have to decide like, where do I want to go? Because I took one on one, two on one, three on one. And then I got onto the conservatory team, which you had to audition to do. Uh-huh. And, and then I took a Harold class. Um, and then after that, I think the only classes that I took after that were by invitation only, and they were of no cost. And I took some workshops. Um, but I just don't, I really feel like I wish I'd have had somebody that can say, well, what do you want to do in improv? Right. Do you want to focus on characters? Do you just want to keep working on the foundational stuff, which would have helped shape what type of career yes. I would have attached to? Or 
um, hey, you know, you know, you can take classes at other places. You don't always have to be at big. You could take, you know, here. And I didn't have that. So I stayed with big and. But I still, you know, what helped me branch out outside of Baltimore was the pandemic. Because once it started doing improv online, then I was meeting people in different countries, different states. Right. And then that's when things kind of exploded for me. Yeah. So what was the first group outside of big you got into and performing group? Um, the first group outside was a group in Florida. And then we performed online. Then the the furthest away was in, I think it was, oh God, it was with um, Summers. I think his name is uh, Johan Summers. I think they're in somewhere in the UK. Oh God, I hate this because I enjoyed that. that um, but it was in another country. And I remember when I got the, the, the uh, messenger, I thought it was a scam. <laughs> when I went and looked them up on, I said, who are these people? This is in a different country. And how did you find out about me? And how do you know to contact? Like I had all these questions and I was like, what if I'm being scammed? And then I went and kept researching and I saw that there were other people from that I knew that weren't necessarily in Baltimore that had performed with them online. And I was like, wow. But for me, it was like huge because I'm like, how do you know me? <laughs> how did you find out about me? Yeah. And um, so that was like the the biggest one for me. Um and then I started meeting people like a John Gerbatatios in Minneapolis. And I don't know who made, it might've been Blue who made the J connection, but that was like the best. That was the best connection. Yeah. Um, Jay is just a wonderful person. And um, yeah, and it just, after that, it just, it was like dots. It was like hitting stuff on a map. People from everywhere were reaching out to me and like, hey, I want you to come you want to be a part of this? I saw your, you know, I saw your um show. I'd love to have you to be a part of this. And it was just mind blowing, like, okay. I mean, I know I'm fine. <laughs> but how you find out about me? <laughs> yeah, Blue is wonderful and Jay is connected so many wonderful people. And he's my mentor. Okay. I I've been very blessed to have him as a mentor and so helpful with my teaching and my performing and what a great soul he is. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So now when did you form your you formed your own troupe or you got involved in the troupe? Because you know, in prior years in improv, there weren't a lot of black improvisers, except for Wayne Brady, maybe, right. um, and Sean Landry. Um, but what was your, you got, I know you developed, you, did you found Cakewalk? Tell me a little bit more about Cakewalk. So we actually were, I and the people, the original folks of Cakewalk were individually contacted and like summoned to the theater. It was very hush-hush, very CIA, very FBI. Wow. What theater was this? It was, it was that big. It was that big. We were told to come to big and I was like, okay. Then I walk into the room and there are these other people in there. And I was like, oh, so we all got the same message. And <laughs> And then Blue walks in and she was like, yeah, I, I want you all to think about forming a troupe. I've been watching you all perform and I think that there's something here. And so we were like, 
okay. And at that, what she said to us was historically at big, there wasn't a huge black community within the theater. And she said, and it just was, I was getting so excited when I saw each of you come in the door and she said, and then I was like, I think there's enough. Cause at the time big only had casually dope, which was like the first all black improv troupe in Baltimore. Uh-huh. And she said, I think there's room for another. I think we've got enough for another black troop. And that's how Cakewalk was created. And we, you know, we just sat around, we talked and we discussed, you know, things that we like our improv journey. And she was like, yeah, let's try this out. And so in that room at big is where Cakewalk was created. And we lost one original member because he moved to Texas and we're now up to five people. And, you know, it took us a while to really find our footing. Um, Again, for Black people, we don't have a lot of examples of all Black improv troops. While we know we love to perform with one another, we just didn't know, like, what what's the format? What would be the best format? So we really had to do a lot of that work on our own. Um, because we didn't have a blueprint. Um, right, for- right. So it, it was, I am so very grateful for that very, ooh, hush, hush, secret of text that I got. Yeah, yeah. Because it had, we have just grown in so many ways, you know, landed on the improvised sitcom, which is where we weren't initially. We t- we were kind of all over the place, to be honest. But um once we landed on that and kind of perfected that that format, it just opened up so many doors for us. Now, two questions. Um, for people who might not know, what does the word cake work, cakewalk mean? What's that about? So people originally, when they hear cakewalk, they think about um, like a, a game where you line up all of these desserts and someone plays some songs and when they stop, you can pick you wherever cake you land in is the cake that is now yours. So it's what they call a cakewalk. But the name is rooted in um, in racism. So there was a time when the servants weren't allowed to participate, of course, in the celebrations, but they could see what was going on. So they saw everybody in their fine wear and they were dancing. And so the servants started to mock what they were seeing and one of the enslaved masters saw it and thought it was interesting, did not, didn't even realize at the time that they were being mocked. And so they brought the servants in to entertain them. And, um, but they were really being mocked. And that's where cakewalk came from. That's where the term came from. Like, oh, this is a cakewalk. Anybody could do this. And, um, or they, that's what the people think that that term comes from. It's a cakewalk. It's easy, but it's actually um servants who were mocking their enslaved masters wow. yeah yeah so and that's what we do because we take casts we take shows that are predominantly white cast and we flip them into the white version i mean to the black version sorry and so that's how we landed on cakewalk that's beautiful and you mentioned improv tv you mentioned something else that i wasn't sure what it was um Oh, that we have an improvised sitcom. So we created that format. Oh, improvised sitcom. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what, do you have a favorite one at all that you've done? Um, I loved the love boat when we first started doing it. Yeah. 
Uh, we are currently working on if that if you asked me if I had a favorite um cakewalk show when we've done the love boat when we did the march madness created by kim alu in new york when we won that our winning set like just lives rent free in my head um it was such a hilarious set i remember us being so tired because when we first entered the competition and we won we was like yeah we won and then it was like oh your next performance is tomorrow night and then we was like oh yeah if we keep winning, we got to keep performing. Yeah. And so by the time we got to the finals, we were exhausted because I think we had performed every night that week and um, we were exhausted and we were just like, you know what, you know, with it's fun, but it's still like you taking it a little bit serious because we're competitive and we wanted to win. Right. And uh, when we won, we were just like, oh, man, we can't believe because we were so tired. We were so tired that night. Um, so that's one of my favorite, favorite sets that we've ever done. And anytime we make each other laugh during a set, it's going to stick with me. Like it, be, it's, it becomes one of my you know memorable sets. But that one absolutely is my favorite. Okay. That's wonderful. And you performed around the country, right? Mm-hmm. And again... We are like next week, we're going to San Antonio, Texas. And I got a message through the Cakewalk Messenger on Facebook. And I thought it was a scam. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't trust Facebook Messenger is what I'm saying. Um, And they reached out. It was during the pandemic. And they said, hey, we saw you guys um, perform. And we wanted to know, they do uh, a parody of SNL and it's called Daddy Night Live. So it's called DNL. And it's the best product, producted, uh, production that I've seen like online shows. It is wow. like so professional. They have the opening. They've got the montage of the photos. It It is just the best. So we were like, sure, we'll, we'll do this show. Margo, I'm telling you, the run of show was so professional. It was like... 10.55, we do this. 11 o'clock, then 11.30. So organized. And so when the world started opening back up, they then asked us to come to San Antonio to do the show. And we also did our workshop. And we love these guys. I've never been to Texas. This is my first time going to Texas. And when I tell you their hospitality was top notch, yeah, um, top notch. And again, just another slick production. It's so well organized. They have the everything is like, oh, the next part is coming up. Here's a little sheet of paper just as a note for it. I was like, you know what? We love y'all. We love yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so shout out to the guys in, in San Antonio that run DNL. They are just simply amazing is that the name of their group dnl or well, they, they are called my four dads because they're they're four yes yeah and um they are so they are just amazing kevin brian dave amazing people they are so amazing oh that's beautiful and san antonio is a beautiful city too it's yeah. really lovely really lovely really lovely we'll be there um november uh, second through the fifth, we we're going to be performing and doing our work, teaching our workshop, the cake mix. Wow, the cake mix. Okay, I like that. <laughs> it sounds yummy. So, are, are your shows um, long form, short form, a combo? What are they? Uh, for Cakewalk, I would consider it to be long form 
we um we used to do a set and then we do a commercial in between it kind of looked it kind of looked like a bit of a herald in the beginning um because we would mm -hmm. do that we do a commercial and then we do another set so it was like oh yeah a set a game and a set but we don't do commercials anymore we took those out and um so now we just we come out we do a monologue to you know introduce the character for those who've never seen the set before and um and then we do cut to to where we want to be and we don't necessarily end it we'll say we'll do us a, a signal to the team which is like for Lo love boat it's land ho and we'll come out and we'll do closing monologues so it's more long form than than any other format like it's not really montage so i would consider it to be a long form beautiful and are you doing any writing and are you doing any sketch not doing sketch. I keep trying to get in the sketch, Margo, and then I don't get into sketch. Like I want to do it, but then I don't know, something stops me. So I have, I do more writing. I do have a, um, a pilot that I'm working on. I'm on my second draft. Great. And I have applied, you know, for different programs. Haven't gotten in, going to keep plugging away. I've taken classes with Patrick Rowland. Um, Rich, I don't want to mispronounce Rich's last name, but he used to write for um, Comedy Central and um, Jimmy Fallon. So I took a couple of, because he came to Big and I took his class. I know I, who you're talking about, but I can't think of his last name right now. Yeah, I, don't, I can see it, but I don't want to, Telerio, I don't want to mispronounce it. I'm sorry, Rich, if I did. <laughs> That's okay. Uh -huh. And so, yeah, I love to write. It's always been there with me ever since it, as a kid, because it goes back to, you know, me writing those scripts for those plays. And I, you know, the first short story that I wrote was in grade school. I think I was in elementary school and my teacher used to give us writing time and I wrote this story and I remember reading it and I stopped for a second and I looked around because people were like this. They were like, oh, my God this is so good. And I did it again when I was taking Spanish class. Anytime we would take a quiz, I would turn my paper over and write a short story for my Spanish instructor. And he used to read them when he, when he saw that what was on the back of them, he would read them out to the class. Wow. And it became like a series. And so that is always been within me. And so that's what I like. I would say my first love is writing. Wonderful. Well, um, I love writing as well, but the discipline it takes. I've taken several classes. I recently took a um, write your own show with Katie Shute over in the UK, and, but I've been going to the sketch school and I can't say enough about it because we'd have, we didn't have to, but there was an assignment every week. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about it was learning all the different forms of sketch that there could be, you yeah. know, like fish out of water and oak tree and all of these formats. Um, and, uh, but it's sitting down and doing it. It's sitting down and doing it. And that, and you have a busy schedule. Now, are you teaching anywhere right now or what's going on with that? I'm currently not teaching, um, because I'm getting ready to take a, a small improv respite because I have been so busy. <laughs> I just came back from Portland, um, working with Mary C. Parker and Blue Cavella Lett on the Black and wow. Project. We are um, working. I'm sorry, on which which project out in Portland? Um, it's a project that we created, but we took it out to Portland to do a weekend of learning. Um, and we also wanted to talk to like the black improvisers there because we're working on a documentary 
to capture the history of Black improvisers in improv. And so our goal is to uh, like move around the country, around the world to talk to Black improvisers and their experience and sometimes being the only Black in this art form. Um, so I just came from Portland. Um, shout out to the people at Kickstand. And next week at San Antonio. So I I did teach you were the class that you were in, and um, that with uh, that I co-taught with Steve. That was the last class that I taught. So I don't have anything in the works right now because after San Antonio, December, I want to take like the month off just to regroup and plan for 2024 as far as like performances and teaching. Wonderful. That's so good to take a break. It's so I'm taking a week. I'm taking Thanksgiving week, but you're taking a whole month. I really admire that. <laughs> I need it because I, I mean, I love I'm so Sometimes I'm so in awe of being asked to do things, right? When I get an email or a message, it's like, oh my goodness. And then I know I also have to take care of myself. Like, you know, yes. when you refresh others, you got to remember to refresh yourself. And so that's that's what I'm doing in December. That's beautiful. So um, do you use improv in your life? And if so, how do you use it? Yes, I am. I tell what I teach an object um object class and I cuz I'm really big on object work and love it love it <laughs> and so even around the house I'm doing stuff right right cuz I tell people all the time we forget how to use things when we get on stage like we drink every day and yet we don't know how to use a cup when we get on stage that's weird um so yeah I am doing it I do uh torture my family by doing little games with them and if I'm if I get into character, they all start rolling their eyes like, oh, there goes that improv. <laughs> and I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. So I tell people all the time, I've been improvising not without even knowing that it was a thing like all my life. I love um, making up songs. I love just having fun. I'm turning 50 next year and I refuse to believe it because I'm still like a kid. Like, yeah I, just, yeah, I just like to have a good time. You know, we're not here for a long time. We don't know how long we're going to be on this side of, of the world. And I just want to have a good time. Um, so improv is with me wherever I go, whatever I'm doing. And it's the spirit of play. We're yeah. playing. We're making things up. We're playing all the time. And what a wonderful approach to life that is. Just beautiful. Yeah. I don't know if I said, but you're a wonderful teacher. So I've really enjoyed the classes. And when you've subbed for Jay, really terrific. So um, let me ask you another question. And uh, I, one thing I wanted to get back to is improv is very mindful. We talk about mindfulness and they've got all these stupid apps uh, <laughs> that cost money, but you don't really need to buy an app. You can just do it. Right. Um, but I think there's a mindful quality. Do you experience that as well? I do. Um, there have been times where I have just feel like, you know, on edge, uh, maybe it's a bad work day or some personal things going on. And everybody knows I'm not a big fan of warmups, but it's something about knowing that you're about to go on stage that just relaxes me, that centers me, that brings me this peace. One, because I know that I am 
showcasing a skill um, that, that that God has blessed me with, right? Like it's this is my purpose to make people laugh. Because even outside of improv, I know that I'm crazy and people, you know, I'm going to make you laugh. And so it is something about walking out onto that stage that just, it's like peace just comes over me. Yeah. Where I feel liberated. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, yeah. That is when it's like, who? And and then afterwards, I don't know if you experienced this when you finish a show. It's like I'm riding on this high. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. It's like I want to talk about it. I'm like, who? That was so much fun. And yeah, so I love, I love when when me and a scene partner makes that connection because yes. you know you can't like say I'm getting ready to do this, but when you look at each other and you just click and the scene goes, that is like the best feeling in the world. It, Absolutely. You know, I shout out to people who do drugs. I don't, but that is improv can sometimes be my drug. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's euphoric, yes. especially when we're connecting and the relationship feels real and we're feeling authentic and genuine in mm-hmm. our characters. Yeah. Um, so uh, what piece of advice might you give to fellow improvisers? What, what poils of wisdom would you bestow? <laughs> what could I say? Um, I would say that the authenticity that you bring to the stage shouldn't start when you just get on the stage, like make sure who you, that you're bringing yourself, like you're even off stage, you are still being true to yourself. So who you connect with in the theater, those should be true connections. Don't confuse what you see on the stage is and thinking that it's going to translate into real life. Like when someone blacks out, make sure you are being true to yourself, true to your connections, true to your performance style, just being true because that's going to take you further than saying, Oh, I want to connect with the popular improviser or the one I think is going somewhere. Those true connections are going to take you further than you just trying to use people or manipulate people you're going to go further. So walk into whatever space that you're, you're, you're going into always holding on to who you are. Beautiful. And you are so beautiful. I'm so lucky to know you and I really appreciate the time you were able to give us today. So I want to thank you again for being here and I look forward to seeing you again somewhere. I don't know where. but I appreciate you so much, Margo, because you are always so inspirational. Like you are always uplifting people. And I just appreciate to what you, I appreciate what you bring to this community. You're so talented. You're so funny. And I just want to thank you so much for what you give to people. Like you have no idea sometimes when you're like, oh, I just loved your show. Like what that does for us in this community. And you're just one of those bright spots in this art that I really look forward to seeing you online and what you do. So I just want to give you your flowers in this moment because you you are you are necessary and needed in this community. And I'm so grateful that we are connected. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.